Well, we continue in the story, in the ministry of Jesus, with the title of this message, Invitation to a Harvest Mindset. God has a harvest mindset. God thinks about winning souls. God sent his son, Jesus, to shed his blood so that he could win souls. He sent the spirit to win souls. He has a harvest mindset, and he wants it to be a family experience. And he invites us to have a harvest mindset, not in a peripheral way or an also-ran sort of a way, but um, front and center. It's one of the main things that's on God's heart, on God's mind. And we, when we have a, have a harvest mindset for souls, then uh, we are cooperating with God's mindset and aligning ourselves with his mindset and his purposes on the planet. In the story, chapter 24, we have some of the parables of Jesus. We're going to look at the parable of the, of the sower and also parables of the lost sheep, coin, and son, and also the story of the Gadarene demoniac, demon-possessed guy. Don't panic. I'm not going to read all the stories all those parables, going to refer to them because they're well known and because you also read them this last week. But our first talking point is that God invites us to have a harvest mindset that is marked by faith. God invites us to have a harvest mindset that is marked by faith. Faith that God is the, is the one who is doing the harvest. He allows us to come along and partner with him, but it's not up to us to strive to make the harvest happen. There's no way we can make someone be born again or even lead them to faith in Christ. It is not a rational thing that we talk anybody into. There is persuasion. There is a declaration. God has designed the harvest for us to participate in it, but it is God that actually does the work. It is God who actually is the evangelist that wins souls. <clears throat> I'm going to give an altar call at the end of the message today because God is wanting to win your soul today if you're not saved. And God wants you to say yes to his yes to you. And his, he's knocking on the door of your heart if you don't know him. And he wants to come into your heart. And that's going to happen at the end of the message today. So you be ready for that, okay? Mark 4, verse 1 and following. And again, Jesus began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables. And said to them in his teaching, listen, behold, there's lots of voices shouting at us all the time. And in the midst of all the voices, in written form, on Facebook, blogs, all kinds of other social media, but also um, advertising throughout our culture, lots of voices. Jesus is wanting to say to us, of all the voices you're hearing, hear me, Jesus says. Listen and behold, look at it. There's something I want to tell you now. You have ears to hear, 
because my sheep hear my voice. So use your spiritual ears to listen to what I'm about to say, says the Lord Jesus. A sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. And when the sun was come up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop, sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And Jesus said to them, he who has ears to hear, which is us, let him hear. And Lord, we do hear this. We hear this word, this one central point that I feel like you want to especially emphasize to us, that some seed falls on good soil. I grew up on a farm, as you know, and we planned every year way in advance to, to, um, for the harvest. Different things that we did, plowed, harrowed, disked, planted the seed, fertilizer, the whole nine yards, and uh, then mowed, raked, and baled, and then put the kids to work, throwing the bales onto the trailer. In ancient Israel, there wasn't such planning. Their method of sowing and reaping was to just go out and sow seed everywhere, everywhere. Just throw it everywhere, and hopefully some of it will land on some good soil, and we'll catch that later. We'll find it, when it later when we come back and reap. That was their style. And that's the kind of sowing that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about, in terms of his disciples, being harvested, harvest mindset, conscientiously doing whatever we can to advance his kingdom, advance his harvest. It's not necessarily every single person out there aggressively reading the soul script, uh, winning script to somebody or the four spiritual laws. It's you doing your part, me doing my part to do all kinds of things. I want to ask you a question right now. I want to help, ha ask you to help me think for a moment. And you at home, help me think for a moment about this. What are one or two of the dynamics that contributed to your decision to come to Christ? In just a couple words or a sentence. Will you raise your hand and help me with this right now? What helped you? The word. The word, like reading the Bible? Someone preached a specific Bible verse and it helped you come to Christ. Right here. Okay, so people, so you were, you were picked up. Yeah, and as a child? Yeah, picked up as a child, brought to Sunday school to learn the word of God, brought to children's ministries to hear the word of God. And you're serving God now as an adult because of children's ministries back in the day. That's awesome. That's my wife's experience too, Brenda's experience. Yes. God's love and God's patience. Very, very cool. The ministry of your grandmother in your life. 
I've heard, um, yeah, one more. Prayer, huge deal. The Apostle Paul makes a big deal about praying, praying for boldness, open doors, words to say, praying for souls, pray that God will make it clear. And uh, we know that, uh, that uh, the church prayed that God would stretch out his hand, do signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. And we know that Jesus asked us to pray that God would send labors into the harvest field. So prayer is a really a big deal as part of what brings us to Christ. You know, the people that write books about such things uh, tell us that, there's, uh, that, um, that there is a progression that people go through before the, they come to Christ. Some go through the progression faster than others, but it was, de it was uh, described by one author as the Engel scale. He was an author that wrote about it, and it's the learned uh, write books to each other about such things, but, but um, Engel's actually had this, uh, this uh, plan or this paradigm, this model of where people uh, went on a scale from minus eight to a zero. Zero is when they came to Christ. Minus eight is, eight is when they're an atheist or didn't believe in God at all, or um, just no awareness of God. And, they, and they, you go through a sequence of awareness of God, awareness of the Christian message, more awareness of the Christian message in detail, application of the Christian, Christian message in terms of realizing you need it, feeling positive about the Christian message. That's a big step for a lot of people moving to that point, starting to feel positive about the Christian message, and then having a point where you actually receive the Christian message for yourself and become born from above. So there's this whole angle scale that people go through. And do you know prayer moves people along that scale closer? And do you know that kindness or grandma's teaching or children's ministries or, or, or um, having, getting prayer or, or prophesied over, some of our evangelists are, are really, really good at praying the Holy Spirit onto people to experience the Holy Spirit before they even get saved. And that brings people along that scale to the point of, of salvation. So the, so the issue isn't just going out there and trying to get people from zero, uh, sorry, from a negative eight to a zero, like in one fell swoop in just a few seconds. When we share the gospel and people respond in our two minute to five minute presentation, we're aware that there's a whole um, plethora of uh, experiences that people have been, have been brought along by all these other dynamics. And we're just part of it. We are, Jesus said, you will reap where you haven't even sowed. Others have sown, but you will reap where others have sown. And um, we are just recognizing that all of us have a calling to do whatever we can with that harvest mindset to move people closer. And that's the invitation from this passage of the, the parable of the sower. Lynn Campbell was at Walmart the other day, one of our participants here at New Song Church, and she was noticing a long line that she was in. But as she neared the front of this long line, she heard a voice that was the checker, Lynn, Lynn, I've been hoping to see you for lots of years. I'm so glad you're in line today. So loud that everybody could hear her. She, said, she, ran around, she left her uh, cashier place, came around and gave Lynn a big hug. Never mind COVID-19 or anything else. <laughs> gave her a big hug and said, Lynn, Back at Boise Cascade over 30 years ago, when we worked together, your efforts, I always remembered your efforts to talk about Jesus, and a few years ago, I accepted Jesus into my heart, and it's all because of you. And um, 
<laughs> she wanted to tell Lynn that. And I, don't, I know that we don't always know the sowing, what, what we're doing, but, but um, once in a while, God gives us very much encouragement by letting us just see a tip of the iceberg of our impact and our influence on people's lives like Lynn got to, to see. One of America's most well-known evangelists over the years is Billy Graham conducting, conducting 417 missions in 185 countries from 1947 to 2005, preached the gospel to 210 million. The one I care about most is the one in Portland, Oregon in 1950, 71 years ago, when Bill Mickelson and Mildred Williams, his girlfriend, came forward to receive Christ. Sometimes people will uh, criticize Billy Graham for not having the, the success in moving people from salvation to church experience. But my friends, when we see that God is the one that not only brings people to Christ, but moves in them. My mom, my mom went to heaven 21 years ago. My dad's about to go to heaven. He's on hospice right now. This is a recent quote. I think this is the first time I've quoted him in a sermon. This is a quote from my dad recently. We thank Jesus for the personal touch that he gives us when we ask him, when we ask him for it. He who began a good work within people will continue it until the day of Christ. 71 years of following Jesus. Four kids. I don't know how many grandkids, great-grandkids, but kids serving God. I'm glad Billy Graham does good follow-up, but I'm glad God does the best follow-up. I try to relate to people in the church life and in the world with love, acceptance, and forgiveness, and faith that God is going to use me to move them closer to Christ. Love, acceptance, forgiveness, and faith. It's not always easy to embrace a harvest mindset. Sometimes we feel vulnerable. Sometimes we feel like God's calling us to a very vulnerable place that it's scary. Kind of like these photos. Some of you have already seen them. But feels like God is calling us to do something we really shouldn't be doing. <laughs> Evangelism seems dangerous sometimes. Well, this is too scary for me. Why would God make me do this? Yeah. Yeah. Does God really know what he's doing? Does the Father really know what he's doing? <laughs> yeah. But yet and yet, yet and yet, he says that his strength shows up in our weakness. 
And he told Moses, what's in your hand? It's a staff. Throw it down. Turns into a serpent. We give it our best shot. We bumble along and just give our best shot to move people closer to the kingdom. And God surges, it, surges in with his miraculous power and makes it happen. I think forgiveness, uh, love, acceptance, and forgiveness is a big deal. I had a prophetic word uh, at, in, at uh, Jesus Pursuit Church conference in Albany, um, Oregon, some years ago. And one of the prophetic words was, God is going to bring reconciliation with your neighbors. Now, I didn't know, I didn't have any point of reference for that because I didn't have any problem with my neighbors. I seemed to like my neighbors. They seemed to like me. But then I got hit with two problems with two different neighbors. You want to hear about it? I'll try to be quick. I hope I can still, I hope I still have a pastor job after I share, share this with you. So our neighbors let their dogs out, and they cornered our cat, Frankie. And it was scaring Frankie really, really badly. And I was annoyed because you're not supposed to, in Medford, there's a leash law. And so I yelled at the dogs, chased them back to their house, and I saw the neighbor's door was open. So I appealed to the neighbors in a tone that wasn't the kindest. I didn't cuss or anything, but I, I used a tone that wasn't the kindness to remind them there's a leash law. And they came back with um, a little rougher language. I was in the right. Yeah, I was. And I, my neighbor wouldn't look me in the eye for months. And I didn't care. But then I started getting convicted about it because I thought, how can I ever be a witness to him? And so I finally went to him, knocked on his door, and I said, will you please forgive me for my tone several months ago when I was talking to you about your dogs and our cat? Would you please forgive me for that? And my neighbor said, yes, I will forgive you for that. And I was hoping he'd ask me to forgive him for what he did, but he didn't. But after that, we were fine. Now, I haven't led him to Christ yet, but I feel like I was a move forward. I put the, 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 the uh, harvest mindset first and my relationship with God first before being right. You know, relationship is more important than being right in all kinds of contexts. Okay, one more. A different neighbor walks their dog every morning. Walks their dog while they, while they uh, do social media on their phone or text somebody on their phone without anything to pick up dog um, remains. I mean, you know, excrement, <laughs> sorry. So we asked them politely, can you kind of pick up the stuff that's left on our yard, our front lawn? Oh, sure, sorry. Nothing happened. So I prayed about it. I decided that I would just put it on their lawn. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did. So I did that for quite a while. This doesn't belong on my lawn. It's their dog. So I just took it over and put it on their lawn. 
And they stopped, it, it stopped happening for a while, a few months. And then it started happening again. And then I had to prepare this message. And I got convicted. Forgiveness has to come first. Now, am I going to go and apologize? No, I'm not going to admit it. But I did it. But I am going to repent and not do that. Because I want the harvest to be first. And I want the prophecy to be fulfilled that I'm getting along well with my neighbors. I hope that there's some point of reference for you for this besides just me. I don't want to feel alone in relating to my... Anyone ever had any problem with neighbors in the past? A few of you. Okay. So faith's important. God, faith that God's uh, doing something. Secondly, God invites us to have a harvest mindset marked by rejoicing. Luke 15, verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when, he, when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, something's established. So Jesus says it again in a different way. Verse 8 of Luke 15, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And something I've told you before, that I once uh, uh, saw a statistic that well over 45,000 people come to Christ every single day globally. And that, that comes to all of the angels rejoicing at least once every two seconds, every day. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are so happy when someone repents, comes to Christ. They're so, so very, very, very happy. They know the eternal ramifications of that decision, that choice, that repentance, that faith. But so do the angels. There is one continual party in heaven. Hebrews says we have, we have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. And of all the things that they're rejoicing about, supremely they're rejoicing about the harvest happening dynamically not just theologically, but dynamically on the earth in real time. They're very happy about it. And God invites us through these, through these stories and through the parable of the, remember the, uh, the story of the, of the lost son, the, the prodigal son who, who wasted the father's inheritance and came back and the father forgave him. And what did he do? What did the father do? He threw him a party. And Jesus is saying he's throwing a party for people that come to faith in Christ. And even the older son, when he says, hey, what about me? The father, says it's, or the, the father said, it's right that we throw a party and you should be in on it. In fact, if you get in on it, in this very moment, I'm giving you a revelation. You, you could have been having a party any day you wanted. But as the older son, you never embraced your, your blood-bought right. So do you know what happens when we, in the, the, the church, um, 
what we tend to do is we institutionalize follow-up when people come to Christ. We institutionalize it and say the church should do something about new Christians, having a newcomers, having a, having not newcomers, but a new believers class. Well, when I came to Christ, I didn't want a new believers class. I wanted to design my own follow-up. And I, I, I got what I wanted. I wanted to be mentored. And I got mentored. And I had people rejoice over me. And, and do you know that when we embrace rejoicing over the people that God brings into our lives that have recently come to Christ and celebrate with, the, with God and with all the angels this amazing thing that is happening and dynamically happening continually as Jesus is, work, Jesus is working in their hearts, as we embrace this harvest mindset of rejoicing with God in the harvest, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, three different ways he's saying it, then at that moment, God speaks to us and says, by the way, the party's about you as well, older son. You can have it. We can, we can have a party anytime you want. We get revelation about the party over us when we embrace the party over others. One of the things that God is doing in your life is bringing people into your life who are newly saved. Watch for them. Celebrate. When Brenda came to Christ at that Bible study so many years ago, her friends in college, they all were out of their minds with joy. It was that joyous dynamic that strengthened her to move forward with God their continual joy over her. The, the pastor that mentored me immediately at the age of 16 got me going to the mission once a month. Five years, age 16 to 21, went to the mission just about every month and shared my testimony, preached once in a while. And um, it was him celebrating me and what God was doing in my life. I raised the question, do you think that uh, we could use the the basement of the annex for a Christian coffee house. He said, I'll ask the board. And the board said, yes. And he said, go for it. So uh, our youth group who got saved right when I got saved, I helped many of them come to Christ. We, had, we started a Christian coffee house. And the net result of that was that there was a revival in the whole little 50-member church. And we turned from a basic evangelical church to a Holy Ghost church. And when the pastor quit, we got a new pastor, we got a Holy Ghost pastor. And for years, there was a Holy Ghost pastor in that church like 30 years after that or more. And, and, it, was, and it was all because of this, this follow-up thing was about celebration and joy and the strength of, of, of aligning ourselves with angels and the Father. Amen. We're going to skip down to number three. God invites us to have a harvest mindset marked by our personal story. Mark 5, verse 18. When Jesus got into the boat, he who had been demonized or demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. And he began to proclaim in Decapolis, that is the ten cities, all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. Storytelling results 
in marveling. Storytelling results in sponsors marveling, which moves people into their own salvation experience themselves. This is the gathering demoniac. Jesus and the disciples come. They find this guy legion because we are many, chained, cutting himself. Jesus delivers him, and he wants to go with Jesus and the disciples and help them in their ministry, be a part of the Jesus ministry, right with Jesus and the disciples. Do you know what is what Jesus tells him? He says, I can't go down there, sorry. <laughs> sorry, friends at home. <laughs> he said, do you know what is absolutely better for you, more exciting for you, more satisfying for you, more fulfilling for you, more, more releasing of your own personal uh, destiny than actually partnering with me and my 12 disciples and my ministry directly wherever we go? What could be better than that is my will for you to share your story among your family and friends where you are. That's the power of storytelling in our lives. It's even better than if we were walking around with Jesus and the 12. That's the power of sharing with others our story, how, how the gospel has worked in our lives. Storytelling. I listened to an apologetics course recently from Regent College, and the Alistair McGrath, the professor that was sharing, said that in modern thinking, rational, logical, reasonable brings us to truth. In postmodern thinking, where we are more now, truth is not rational and it's not logical, and it's not reasonable, it is intuitive. That's where people are at in the postmodern world. And that can be pretty dangerous, but it can also be set us up very powerfully for the joy and beauty of storytelling, because storytelling is, um, the gospel through storytelling is, is um, speaks to the intuitive and the emotional, and people can embrace the truth of Jesus through in the po with a postmodern mindset profoundly through storytelling. This author or this um, professor was saying he expects a resurgence of C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, for instance, because of the gospel in storytelling. And his invitation was to watch for opportunities in a, in a, in a Bible illiterate world to share the Bible stories and the parables for the first time with many people in application to what their situation is because it's in the parables and the storytelling that God's truth can speak to the postmodern mind. Rather intriguing. You'll remember that David Mickelson shared with someone on the street that was bitter the story of Joseph and how Joseph handled the temptation to resentment and bitterness with forgiveness and how God profoundly worked in Joseph's life. And the, and the kid's name was Joseph, turns out. So it really hit the spot. God guided David to tell the story. 
When I first came to Christ, I wrote out my testimony longhand. We didn't even have copy machines back then. We had mimeograph machines. But I wrote it out over and over and over again, stuffed it in a New Testament, and went around and illegally put it in mailboxes. <laughs> I wanted my story to get out. Something is better than nothing. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. <laughs> I did it. Let's stand up. Harvest mindset. Have faith that God's using your feeblest efforts. Rejoice with the people that God brings into your life that are newly saved. It is the secret to their progress as newly saved friends. Ask God to help you to know what parts of your story you should share with your neighbor, friends, family. God will use your story. If you don't have a story, start living your life in Jesus in a way that will produce a story worth telling. Okay? Put your hand on your heart. For the sake of those joining us on channel 11 and 11, right now, let your story begin by receiving Christ in a brief way. Romans 10 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Say this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe God raised you from the dead. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. I call upon you to save me. Forgive all of my sins. I repent and turn to you, Jesus. I am saved. I am born again. I'm on my way to heaven because I have Jesus Christ in my heart. Amen. Now, will you please, uh, if you receive Christ for the first time, text or call a Christian friend you respect right now. Let them know. Tell them your story has begun, and they'll help you grow in, in your relationship with Christ. They've already been praying for you. And everyone here today and everyone else joining us at, at home or on Channel 11 at 11, we're glad that you were with us today. And we're excited about more and more us partnering with God with a harvest mindset because it's very much on his mind and heart. God bless us. Thank you for coming today.